That's Debatable is sponsored by MB&G. MB&G are specialists in the esoteric world of vehicle and furniture warranty insurance, delivering quite marvellous customer service, prompt claims payment, and a highly developed understanding of how to deliver these products in a way that is both compliant with the regulations and attractive to customers. and welcome to That's Debatable, the weekly news podcast of the Free Speech Union. Hello, everyone. Hello, Tom. Hello, Ben. Uh, you've been away for a few days. Have you had a, a nice long weekend um, or were you away for, I don't know, DIY and you've, you've got your, your thumb in a bandage or something? I've had a lovely four days in the new forest. Um, and uh, unlike you, Tom, I don't get lost <laughs> navigating through woodland or rural England. So I've I managed to get home on time, uh, unscathed. Uh, but I had a jolly nice time, thank you. And uh, it's a very beautiful part of the country. It just seems like a very odd name because if you name something new, then 400 years later it no longer makes sense. But hey, I'm not going to go to New College <laughs> Oxford and, and 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 complain about that. <laughs> but we need to we need to kick off with um, today. On today's episode, we, uh, we we put together a number of things, which include within them some good news. I think so often in these podcasts, um, we thoroughly enjoyed talking every week, of course, um, but it feels like it's a, it's a lot of bad news. There's a lot of things that can get you down. Uh, and so hopefully some of what we're talking about today, not all, <laughs> but some of what, what, what we're talking about today contains some, some good news. So Ben, do you want to start off by talking about the McTaggart? program give me some update on that i would love to um so yes it's all it's all pretty much upbeat today which is is jolly mm. nice um so the mctaggart program if you've not heard me or one of my colleagues or tom speaking about this before um is our student funding program so if you are listening to this and you are a young person or you know young people you can send them our way and uh, you or they can apply for a grant uh of up to uh, £1,500 per term if it's involved in a student society or for a, a smaller sum if it's a, if it's a sort of one-off project or a, a lecture they're organising or a special event or something like that. Um, and it all came about basically because I was speaking to uh, a group of students down at Exeter where I went to university um, and they were running the Student Debating Society. And it's just it's, it struck me that it's so much more difficult nowadays because you've got probably a student union that's very hostile to free speech. Um, you have a university sector that's really had to be um, dragged kicking and screaming um, via the Higher Education Freedom of Speech Act uh, into giving a tinker's dam about freedom of expression, academic freedom. Um, and also you just have this kind of reticence, I think, among young people today, um, which is not to say they're all hostile to free speech because they're very much not. Um, but but there's just this kind of taint, I think, attached to freedom of speech that it, that it might be um, a, a sort of coded way of talking about hate speech or it might be a coded way of saying you want to express bigoted views about groups of people or whatever. So the picture is quite difficult if you're a student today and you want to set up a free speech society or a debating society or you want to talk about academic freedom or whatever it is. Um, and um, and the free speech team, we just got thinking about what, what can we do to help? And uh, we settled on the idea of this grant-giving programme um, funded by a very generous donation. Um, and the McTaggart programme was 
born. Uh, and since then, we've awarded uh, tens of thousands of pounds in grants to students who are doing some really, really excellent stuff. Um, and if you look on our website, our pretty much brand new website that launched a few weeks ago, you can see some of the examples of what people are doing. So um, one student has launched a podcast series. We've had um, debating societies who and speakeasy societies who have packed big lecture theatres full of people on uh, Friday nights to come and debate topical issues of the day. Um, it's really good stuff. It's really good mm. stuff. And it's the kind of thing that uh, has been going on for oh, hundreds of years, um, but which has been really languishing on and on life support um, in the last five or ten. Um, so it's all good stuff. That's my spiel, Tom. Well, I, I also remember, and we've said this before on the podcast, Ben, the first couple of cases where people took some funds from the McTaggart program and, and, it, and were able to, to do things they could otherwise not have done. It was a, a film showing and it was a talk, um, which was fantastic back in March last year. However, there are, as you said, touched on a little there, there are so many new ways of, of doing free speech uh, and free expression nowadays things like podcasts things that use the new media uh and other ways of reaching people i mean i don't know if if the mctaggart program would would uh, would sponsor a tiktok <laughs> a tiktok project but you know who knows someone could have a great idea that uses some of these new mediums and the mctaggart program just gives them a little bit of a boost to make it happen because we have to rethink and reimagine things for this um what we call the you know, i guess the, digi the, di the digital world this new industrial revolution that we're living through uh, that is undeniable everything's changed I, I read an amazing statistic this is slightly off off course uh ben over the weekend that the top u.s tech companies so the you know the amazons the apples the microsoft's nvidia's coming up as well meta yeah. they they between them uh account for something like 30 percent now of the u.s stock market which in itself is 60 percent of or more of the of the world stock market these huge new businesses that did not exist 30 years ago they they, they have bigger economies than we do in fact bigger economies or values of their balance sheet than UK plus France plus it's a it's they're astonishing numbers if your chief executive of these companies, you're you're at the helm of a country in essence. But my point being, we're living through these incredible times of change, and so something like the McTaggart program, um, new innovative ways of thinking about freedom of speech. Hopefully, we can help make them happen. You know, we we certainly live in a time in which you have to think the unthinkable, and mm. um, the the idea that this moment of utterly insane technological progress if you believe in progress development revolution whatever you want to call it um that at this moment this is the time when we stop being able to think about and discuss things openly um that this should be the moment where thought and free speech are restricted uh, is obviously completely insane um and so that there is a generational challenge there is a, a fading of belief in the value of freedom of speech as you go through generational cohorts that is there it's it's not universal that young people don't believe in free speech but there is a generational effect um and, and we just thought rather than being in a position where um we're we're sort of having to chase after students to to kind of push them into doing stuff that 
uh, promotes free speech on campus. Let's just try and support the stuff that's already going on um, or the new ideas that people at those universities are coming up with. Um, and uh, we don't really want to be prescriptive, particularly about about what people are doing. We have terms and conditions and you have to agree to a statement of values around um well, around enlightenment values, around promoting freedom of speech, tolerating others' views, etc. Um, but but beyond that, we're really open to new ideas. So if you're listening mm. to this or you, and you've got a child or grandchild at university or if you're at university, um, yeah, please do get in touch. All the details are on our website and you can see the big uh, apply for grant button. And there's some good news that came in the weekly newsletter as well, Ben, which is that through the McTaggart program, we're now supporting the inaugural Modern Descent Lecture. Uh, yes. which uh, is going to be, it's going to involve Professor Eric Kaufman. He's the first person who's going to give that lecture. He's on the FSU Advisory Council. He's head of the Centre for Heterodox Social Science at the University of Buckingham. And that lecture is going to take place on the 28th of February at Conway Hall in London. And uh, these, lect- these, these lectures which I've seen the New Culture Forum do, I've seen other uh, free speech-friendly groups put on, are really important. They become moments, I think, in the year where people gather together and uh, hopefully, and I'm sure this will happen, You know, the lecture will end up on, on YouTube for people who, who are unable to see it, but they become cultural touch points, especially given that Professor Eric Kaufman has just started his new course, his new online course on woke and understanding culturally where it's come from and what it's done to our culture. And you can you can sign up to that now. That just has just gone live. And I saw him, he was on Free Speech Nation last night. That 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 course has just gone live, and there are different levels that you can sign up to. Uh, and I think um, it'll be fascinating to have him come and speak to us. I was speaking to him about this last year uh, at Battle of Ideas, which was, what, four or five months ago now. Um, yeah. And uh, even at that earlier stage, it seems to be going phenomenally well and um, a significant number of subscriptions and huge amount of interest and so on, unsurprisingly. Um, but w- w- what's so interesting as well is just that, obviously, pandemic and post-pandemic and online learning and all that kind of stuff and... Uh, the inherent resistance of which I was guilty of students um, trudging along to lecture theatres. Um, you know, you know, it's quite difficult to get your students to come along to a 10 a.m. lecture as part of whatever module it is you're you're running um, these days. And doesn't it show though that if you've got fantastic cutting-edge content that is topical, that is uh, engaged with what we can all see all around us, and uh, is interested in interrogating that, um, analysing it in a proper, rigorous, academic way. There's a huge demand for that. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, you see this, this is a point I often make, obviously, the, the phenomenal growth of, of podcasts and history podcasts and so on. Um, people really do want to engage with the Western liberal enlightenment tradition. They want to engage with um, why it's going off the rails in this in this unsettling way and how to restore it. Um, and there is a great demand for that. So I'm I'm very enthused by this course, and I hope it will be running for many years yet to come. So that's some good news. That's a nice place to start. Um, now we 
probably have to touch on a little bit of the, the bad news, which relates to uh, the arts in the world of free expression. But in this instance, I think most of our listeners will be aware of the utterly appalling event that took place at the Soho Theatre, uh, whereby the um, comedian who was performing there uh, really was quite abusive to members of the audience who happened to be Jewish. He brought out the flag of the Ukrainian flag, he brought out the Palestinian flag, and he expected or, or, or encouraged the audience to stand up and support it. These Jewish guests at the front of the theater were uncomfortable, didn't stand up, he challenged them. And as a result of that, they, um, they felt very threatened and intimidated. And since that time, the Soho Theater has apologized and really quite strongly apologized and said, you know, this kind of harassment, this targeting of members of the audience to make them feel not just the discomfort you get and expect in a um, com comic uh, performance. I mean, Ben, you must know that when you go to a, uh, see a comic, you never stand, sit in the front row. You probably try mm -hmm. to avoid the no. front fr first five rows. You will have the piss taken out of you. You will have... You will have the comedian coming up and saying, so who, who are you here with? Are you married? Are you there? You know, that, that is one thing. That is one yeah. thing. That's expected. And that's fine. But the point about really these, these guests at, in the theater felt their, their physical safety was at risk. So quite rightly, that was, that was over the mark. However, the event or the, the, the incident also got a lot of people uh, thinking about the arts and they found out or a number of people that came to light afterwards that the Arts Council England had updated in January its guidance on political or activist statements and under the rules political and activist activities are deemed a potential reputational risk for Arts Council England and if nothing is done to address the damage then the funding of organizations, uh, theaters, uh, people who take money from Arts Council England, their funding could be at risk. And Equity said that um, it was very deeply concerned that the effects that new guidance would have to censor artistic work and attempt to silence artists on stage and in their personal lives, especially any artists who are working in activist or political space, which as we know, a lot of art is. A lot of the most cutting-edge art in history has been at the activist level, the political level. So these new guidelines, this is the flip side. So on the one side, on the one hand, that event in Soho Theatre was beyond the pale. And it's, it's great to see Soho Theatre apologising um, so clearly. But on the other side, it's got people sort of digging up this new guidance, which is very, very worrying. However... And is actually, I guess, is is a trend that we see these organisations worrying about reputational risk and, and threatening to pull money as a result of it. However, there is some good news because obviously this kicked up a a big backlash against Arts Council England, and Arts Council England at the back end of last week actually have put up a statement which is quite strong, and what they've said is that in light of what we've heard this week. We're looking again at some of the language we've used in our guidance. We will clarify it to fully reflect our original intention. We need to understand that, obviously, and see what, what happens. We will publish an updated version of the relationship framework. That's the relationship between Arts Council, England, and the people who get funding from them as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. So a, a good sort of back, not backpedaling, but in many ways, 
going back on this guide and saying we're going to put it back under review, realizing that there is potentially a problem here, especially in the arts of saying, do you know what? Um, if there's a reputational risk for us, we're going to change or pull our, our funding agreement, which would have been very worrying for the arts. So we will see what happens. But Ben, I think there's some good news there that there was fuss made and then they've actually said we're going to do something about it. I think this is one of those stories that is just going to depend on your um, which side of politics you sit on, basically. And if you take the view that um, Arts Council England shouldn't exist, that there should no, there should not be any publicly funded subsidy for the arts, um, then I think your view might be a bit different. Because if if we have a situation where taxpayer funding is going to overtly political artwork, um, it seems to me that taxpayers could quite reasonably say, well, actually. No, thank you. Um, please spend it on hospitals or the army or schools or whatever. Um, so, <clears throat> I think that, I think there'll be people who will listen who will instinctively have that view. Um, alternatively, if you think that public subsidy for the arts is is important and a mark of a civilized society and so on, um, then I think it's it's more likely that they come to the view that you've just expressed on, um, which would be that um, there should there should be a very, very broad tolerance for all sorts of different perspectives within art. That's an interesting perspective, that the arts, uh, when funded by the government, should not be political. Though I struggle to see how that would work in practice. I mean, even putting on a performance of Julius Caesar or Macbeth yep. or Richard yep. III or Hamlet, you know, the, that production in every, in every age productions have always been political um sometimes very overtly of very well-known very mainstream pieces of art so it is hard for me to see how how if there is government funding behind issues around the arts and performances and whatnot and galleries all of that good stuff how it wouldn't be political um but maybe maybe i'm missing something there ben well this is the perennial problem of having public funding of of the arts and arts council england it's something that's gone on and on yeah. and on for decades in fact i vaguely remember there being a, a quite a funny yes yes minister i think episode um <laughs> not or, or yes prime minister i can't remember now about exactly this question um and they so, yeah so it, it's something yes that's right so it's something that uh is always going to be contested and if we have a labor government um after the next election or you know decades from now uh government of whatever composition these questions will not have been put to bed by this um so it's interesting i, I think this is perhaps something that will divide opinion among listeners I'm, I'm sure it will i i would say though ben this is an example in in my mind where we have a distinction between something like the uh the college of police i think that's right um and then which is a quango which is a you know an arm's length organization that's responsible for overseeing the police and then you've got Arts Council Union, England, sorry, Arts Council England, which again is sort of arm's length from the government. I would say that I get the second should be completely arm's length from the because the government yeah. won't like things being said, performed, put on that challenge the government. Um, never governments never like that. But the police, on the other hand, uh, you really can't have that straying too far away no, from no. the government because they are there to the home office is there to oversee the police and to see and to stop it when it goes wrong yeah which leads to catastrophic problems 
I think despite being on the right of politics, I'd have more sympathy for um, overtly left-wing art being publicly funded if it wasn't the case that the entire public sector and quangocracy was entirely overrun by New Labour appointees um, and by this um, woke sludge that's capped with the civil service and college of policing and so on. Um, if, if, if the government and the taxpayer were funding um, art that actually was subversive, that actually was... Um, dissenting from a cultural orthodoxy that actually was holding up a mirror to society and saying, are you sure about this? Um, mm. I think there would be a stronger case for for that um, than for forms of art that actually just reflect an elite consensus uh, back and which, are, and which is paid for by the taxpayer. Um, so I, I think it feels to me like it's one of those things where people who have... Uh, views that would have been controversial in 1960 are sort of LARPing as being cultural revolutionaries in a world that is already theirs and which they already control. So I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for that. But to what extent are we in our own echo chamber, Ben? We're in a free speech union echo chamber, aren't we? We, we see the worst cases come in or the most egregious cases come in and they are they are uh, a never-ending flow of cases in we see that in the arts we see exactly what you say a homogenous view of the world on issues to do with race and issues to do with gender and issues to do with all of the um, current issue cultural issues but are we ourselves in a in an echo chamber and actually there is still a lot of stuff that isn't captured yet and and performances maybe they're a bit bit less regular and they're more standout but there is some good art still happening um or am i just being the ever never ending optimist or trying to be an unrealistic optimist i think i've probably given my answer to this question in the last episode actually tom where um we were talking about the is it, uh, the royal college of literature weren't we that's what we were talking about we were yeah the rsl the royal society of literature royal society sorry yeah um and I made the point that perhaps I should be embarrassed about that. I don't think I've read a novel that was written after about 2005 mm. ever. Um, I, I have to go and search my, but have my you been to a play? Uh, yes. So I, I think I'd accept that. It, it, yeah. I'd accept the, the basic point you've made actually. I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I, I can see this, a uh, disengagement from arts, which already of course is, is, going to be elitist to some extent in any culture but i, I, can, yeah. I can see a disengagement and I, I think there would be a lot of people who had who would have the instinctive reaction of why am i having to pay for this well i went i got a text from someone yesterday who said that uh, she went to see the picture of dorian gray and encouraged me to go and see it it's a production that's on at the moment maybe that and we talked about the crucible as well didn't we over september october which is fantastic yes. and again yeah. spoke to our to our cultural yeah. times to our to the woke issues of the day and i think there are certainly in the world of theater i feel like there are things yeah. addressing these issues um but i agree with you on books it's worth saying as well this isn't just something about obviously this isn't just something about high culture it's also about popular culture as well cinema mm. television etc um where that world has been just as captured uh, children's books uh, these things have all been just as captured as um going to theater which is you know preserve of a relatively small section of society um, so it's not, it's not just a sort of elite versus, um, low culture. It, it's, I think across the board. Well, I like, I like the movie. Yeah. The, the, I remember Toby saying that the, 
I think it was the end of 2022, the, we, there was the big sort of Barbie film and there was also the Maverick film, the, 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 the follow-on from Top Gun. Um, oh, yeah. Flying planes very fast. And the pop, most popular plane, uh, sorry, the, the most popular film at the end of 2022 was actually the Maverick film. It wasn't, it wasn't Barbie or Bros or, or any of the others. Barbie um, was last year, Tom. Barbie was 2023. You're you're thinking of uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer, aren't you? The and that I, very funny trailer that someone made of intercutting the two films, which was which was very funny. <laughs> watch that. I'm probably getting uh, muddled up with my yeah. movies, which says a lot I about me, Ben, and what I do watch <laughs> and what I don't yeah. want. This is it. Disengage, disengage from culture. So this is what or, or from cinema. This is what's <laughs> but, going but on. the point Toby was making yeah. was that it was the sort of macho, traditional, yeah, um, you know, red-blooded film like Maverick that actually got the award, got got the popularity, got the bums on seats. Yes. Um, yeah. Having said that, the woke stuff also gets bums on seats. It's just that there is still a place, thankfully in that world for for the the good old-fashioned fun and escapism that i want to see when i go to see watch a movie i want to i want to get taken away from the problems of my day-to-day life i want to be transformed and transported at least temporarily and i also want a sugar rush from the pick and mix in the foyer <laughs> but beyond that you know i don't want to be preached at and you're completely yeah. right we feel like there's no getting away from the being preached at we're in church 24 7 now <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i mean i, I think the I, I i've not seen all of the new star wars films i saw one that came out um five or six years ago or maybe longer now i can't remember um and um episode eight i think it was um and the whole film just felt like you were being preached at and all of the white men in the film ended up being fools um and all of the women ended up being paragons of virtue and not it's not long ago that um well, I actually, Tom, I've recommended a television program to you, haven't I? Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica. Right? Yeah. It is not long ago that we were absolutely blessed, if you like science fiction, as I happen to, um, with very compelling, very strong, very intelligent female characters who were plausible and believable female characters. They weren't kind of, um, you know, they, they weren't superheroes, right? They were, they were real people. They felt like real people. They act like real people and think like them. Um, and so it's not long ago that science fiction still had that. And now it, it, it's all sort of superhero-y. So that's quite frustrating if you're not interested in that. That's, that's, I find that pretty boring. Um, and it, it's all these sort of Mary Sue type characters who, um, who they're like superheroes, even in non-superhero films. And mm. that, I think, is what feeds into this feeling of being preached at when you go to the cinema, you're watching uh, one of the new Star Treks or whatever. Um, and it, it, it's 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 a turn off. It's not very interesting. Um, it, it doesn't spark my imagination, um, to be honest. That kind of thing. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed Battlestar Galactica after you uh, suggested it. Um, I think I've now got a bit lost, though. This is my brain getting older. I'm watching these episodes. What was he doing in the previous episode? Who's she again? I've turned, I've turned into my mother. <laughs> But anyway, we should move on. Enough of this. We've gone off piste. We always go off piste. Right. Well, we, we're, we're, oh, we're we talking about University of Edinburgh, aren't we? We're, we're back we to are. our good news, our good news tour. Okay. Right. Tom, what's going on? 
So this is this is more good news. We had the news that Simon Fanshawe, who who many people listening will 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 know of or be aware of, he has been elected um, to the position of rector of the uh, uh, University of Edinburgh uh, next month after he was elected by students and staff, and he was elected unopposed. Now, who is Simon Fanshawe? He was one of the six co-founders of the LGBT rights charity Stonewall. He was made an OBE in 2013 for services to higher education. He is uh, he helps to run a business called Diversity by Design. Uh, and before listeners sort of switch off immediately and, and go, oh, no, diversity, this doesn't sound good. He, he tries to, if you can, in your heads, in some way, kind of roll that word back to what it might have meant in 2010 when we were thinking about diversity as diversity of thought and diversity of approach to a problem in business and all the different gifts that a team has and what they bring and how they can be bigger than the single parts that they, that they are. The whole can be bigger than the single parts. That was the good diversity. That was the diversity that did mean uh, a bottom line that was better, a better business kind of diversity. Well, that's the sort of diversity that Simon is very much involved in. He consults on, he's written a book called The Power of Difference, which is about listening to all individual voices and not just assuming that one viewpoint represents a group. So trying to get away from the great homogenization that we've talked about before. So Simon's good news. He's been involved in the LGB Alliance. He wasn't a founder. He wasn't a co-founder of the LGB Alliance, but he's spoken at their conferences. He supports them. Uh, and of course, therefore, he's drawn the ire of uh, the transgender rights activists who are now rallying support for a letter, an open letter that they've started asking the University of Edinburgh to reject his appointment and to find a true advocate, as they say, of equality, accessibility, diversity, and inclusion. And of course, in when they use those words, they really rather mean them in the new sense, in the sense that we see in the case team's inbox every day. Yeah. This, this great homogenization, this terrible clamping down of freedom of expression. So it's really, really good news. But what we have to do, Ben, is we have to cross our fingers and our toes and hope that the University of Edinburgh holds firm which I think they kind of have to, because otherwise they're going to get into ter terrible trouble, and um, and go forward and allow Simon to become the rector of Edinburgh. It's great news. It's above, obviously, it's north of the border. It's in Scotland. We have our own um, free speech union Scottish office because of the very specific problems of freedom of expression. They seem to have gone further down this rabbit hole than England has, yeah. and we're desperately trying to hope England doesn't go down that route that Scotland's gone with its various um, laws on hate speech and such like. Um, but to have this happen north of the border in the Athens of the north, in one of the greatest of our universities at the University of Edinburgh, full of, you know, traditionally full of medics, full of physicists, full of engineers, uh, going out and doing, creating and inventing the best things in the world. Uh, and now we've got someone who's, who's, a good guy, you know, who really knows his stuff and brings diversity of thought to such a critical role. So I think it's good news, but we need to keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, it's very welcome. There's definitely a phenomenon of small countries trying to make themselves stand out against their larger neighbours uh, with respect to the aggressiveness of their zeal for uh, 
uh, equality, diversity, inclusion. You, I mean, compare Canada versus America, Wales and Scotland versus England, Ireland versus the UK. Um, it, there definitely seems to be, and, and there seems to be sort of Celtic crescent as well, uh, where where there is particular uh, particular zeal for uh, this approach to uh, progressive. Uh, in inverted commas, identity politics, for whatever reason, um, that's quite interesting. I, it's something I, I notice when you're, I mean, well, just from following the news, but also from speaking to members of ours who we have helped in both Scotland and in Wales, particularly, um, where this this sort of monoculture really has taken hold. So this is this is excellent news. This is very welcome, um, and uh, I, I think also as well, you know, whatever your view of of how we got here. Uh, we do now live in a hyper diverse society, um, even if it doesn't feel like that in large parts of England and small town rural England. Um, in London, the cities, obviously, it, 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 that is the case. Um, and one of the problems with importing this American version of um, identity politics and social justice and so on is that, as well as being authoritarian, um, it's also really stopped, I think, a lot of thought about how we manage a hyper-diverse society um, and how you balance competing rights and how you solve problems, and problem really is putting it euphemistically, uh, problems around integration and having a cohesive sense of national identity and so on. Um, and all of that sort of stuff seems pretty much to have vanished from politics since well, in the last nine or 10 years, I would say, there was a report that came out by Dame Louise Casey on uh, the state of uh, integration or disintegration. Um, and it was a successor to other reports from the uh, from the 2000s that had looked at these things in the context of 7-7 uh, and 9-11 and so on. Um, and there's a sort of buzz of publicity when these reports come out, and then they just seem to be quietly forgotten. So... Um, we have this approach that emphasizes sex and gender um, mm -hmm. and kowtowing to the demands of, of trans rights activists, and that's obviously now being unpicked. Um, but there really has been a collapse in the engagement with these issues from mm -hmm. politicians, from society generally, which I think, I mean, not really on, on free speech grounds necessarily to start with, but I think will be pretty disastrous. And I think that the consequences of that will impinge on free speech if they're not already um so anyway i've gone wildly off uh, off piece again tom i can't even think what we were talking about we're talking about edinburgh and simon Fanshaw. that's right i think that the 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 big thing that simon Fanshaw does is he recaptures the ground from <laughs> and it is it's almost like it's been captured by an enemy army the ground of diversity the ground of new thought the ground of dissent the ground of debate the ground of um realizing that diversity of thought is actually a good thing he recaptures it and in in i looked up again his book the power of difference and in that book he says that unconscious bias training grown he says it isn't the fix we need we need to listen yeah. to all individual voices and not just assume that one viewpoint represents a group and then further on uh, when talking about it in business, he says uh, you actually need to integrate whatever you mean by diversity, which should be that that not the not the unconscious bias training type, but diversity of thought should be part of the overall business strategy, not separate from it from it. And also, we must create spaces that are safe for disagreement, not from disagreement. And you know, I, I, it's interesting, Ben. I actually 
totally randomly and it was a joy happened happened at the battle of ideas to, to sit down in the first session just next to simon fanshaw and i shook him by the hand as because and i said i'm going to shake you by the hand for multiple reasons simon number one because you're a co-founder <laughs> of stonewall and um i have much to be grateful to stonewall for over the 1990s and the early 2000s and so thank you for doing that that wasn't exactly an easy thing to do back at the end of the 80s uh, a very different cultural environment. Uh, but yeah. second of all, for, for keeping your head when all about have lost theirs. And um, Rudyard Kipling makes a sudden appearance and then disappears stage left, pursued by a bear. However, I said thank you for writing your book, for taking a different view of, uh, of all of this crazy equity, diversity, inclusion, but not throwing the bathwater out with the baby, or is it the baby with the bathwater? I get that wrong, <laughs> the wrong way around every time. Listeners will know what you mean. Yeah. Listeners will know what I mean. You haven't said, you know, there's no good to be found in this. You know, yeah. it, it, it does feel like we're in a muddy river and actually everyone's got very excited about the mud, but there are nuggets of gold in that. There are ways that we should come back to of saying, you know what, I do appreciate diversity of thought. I am made to think sometimes by new people I meet who come from a completely different perspective and they they force me to think. They thought, do you really think that? Is that quite right tom is that you know do you, do you perhaps want to have a of course in the moment i don't in the moment i say of course that's what i think i've got but i might go away and two weeks later say yeah yeah you're, you're probably right i needed to to refine that a bit and that to me is i think where simon's coming from he's bringing that really positive way of keeping the debate open the debate never ends it goes on and on and on and on and so um I really think this is fantastic news for the University of Edinburgh um, and fantastic news, a big step forward, you know, for, for, for such an important institution. Like, it's difficult to overstate the importance of Edinburgh University uh, historically uh, and, and up to, you know, right up to the present day. It is such a, a beacon for academic thought. I mean, the St. Andrews as well. I mean, <laughs> you know, these, these Scottish universities were always the best. Um, but to have been captured by a homogenous ideology is rather, rather been uh, depressing. So, so maybe this. I hope this is a big step forward. Yeah. Well, we would particularly welcome um, applications from uh, students or societies at Scottish universities uh, on that basis, perhaps, Tom. Um, so, yeah. do get in touch if you want to apply for McTaggart Program funding. Um, there's one thing. There's one thing we want to talk about right at the end, wasn't it, Tom? Which is this yes. article by. Uh, Alan Sokol uh, of the Sokol hoax fame, uh, among other distinctions as well. Uh, and he's written in The Critic, free speech for everyone, except. And in this article, he's basically um, gone back to basics, to borrow a phrase, um, of freedom of speech, why it matters, um, how people have tried to infringe it, uh, and why those attempts should be uh, rebuffed. It's really good stuff. And it's one of those articles that is a restatement, I think, of, of things that lots of people could be uh, well reminded of. So we, we would like to endorse it, wouldn't we, Tom? We very much would like to endorse it. There were three things that stuck out to me when I read the article, Ben. The first is the way that he opens the article. So he opens the article. Alan Sokol, is, as you say, he comes back to that. Was it the great hoax when papers were put in that were... were uh, false papers, but they got published anyhow. I can't remember. Is that right, Ben? That's right. Yeah. Anyhow, he starts off by saying the citizens of the USSR are guaranteed by law 
freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, freedom of street processions and demonstrations. And really stops you up short because you don't think what USSR, but of course the words around freedom, they authoritarian regimes, totalitarian regimes recognize those words are powerful. They recognize that they resonate with people. And so they call themselves the Democratic Republic of this or the People's Republic of that. And they put things like that in their uh, constitutions. The point the article's making is, yeah, but what, what do they really do? Scratch under the surface. So I love that opening. In the middle, he really draws on, um, on Mills and on Liberty. And, uh, and, and in particular, the two objections that people who are against freedom of speech or, um, or want to restrict freedom of debate, the two restrictions being, first, the opinion which it is attempted to suppress by authority may actually be true. And we've seen that. We've got examples of, I mean, the, 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 the one, the most recent one is, of course, the COVID-19 escaping from a, a lab in Wuhan uh, theory. And the fact that actually the evidence seems to point towards that eventually. So, so things that are suppressed may actually turn out to be true. That's John Stuart Mill's first point, uh, a good reason not to suppress opinions. And the second is that if you do suppress them, they're not fully, frequently, and fearlessly discussed. And then things are held as dead dogma. And that, that I think, Ben, is a really subtle point, but important point, which is the positive truths in our society upon which we're built, if we don't, if we let them go dormant, if we don't talk about them, uh, well, the, the words are fully, frequently, and fearlessly. Take the Christian truths. They haven't been fully, frequently, and fearlessly discussed. Then they become dead dogma and they get replaced by other things. So again, that's the other thing in, in On Liberty. Anyway, it took me back to On Liberty and I was getting, getting in, very much involved in that. And then I love the way um, that the professor ends uh, the article quoting um, US Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who says, I think that we should be eternally vigilant against attempts to check the expression of opinions that we loathe and believe to be fraught with death unless they so imminently threaten immediate interference with the lawful and pressing purposes of the law that an immediate check is required to save the country. So it's a great article. As he says at the top, there's nothing new. You know, there's nothing, not, I mean, there's insight, obviously, but there's nothing there that is going to be, you know, creating completely new paradigms. But he's pulling together a whole bunch of the free speech issues and the free speech ways in which we think, including John Stuart Mill on liberty. So um, that's why we wanted to draw people's attention to it. Goodness me, I've waffled on there, Ben. Um, <laughs> no, it's right. It would be a good thing to read if you're a first-year university student who has not had a chance to read on liberty and has an imminent seminar and you will have an excellent piece of material here uh, to crib from. Um, I, I read it many, 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 many years ago. Um, and uh, I think this article is just a really nice, pretty succinct restatement of uh, things that are, well, principles that are absolutely fundamental to our way of life and to democracy and so on. Um, and they're things that people don't value any longer in the way that they once did. So it's one of those things It's worth repeating something that listeners to this podcast will, I'm sure, already know and believe in. Um, but spread it far and wide, I think, would be my my exhortation. Yeah. yeah. It's excellent. Well, I don't have anything else to add beyond that, Ben, um, this week. How about you? No, no, I think that's all for me. Thank you for listening. And um, yes. please do sign up as a member of the Free Speech Union if you have not already. We're very, very busy uh, helping members with... 
uh, all sorts of situations where they've been cancelled or censored or punished in some way for what they've said. Um, and I will now be spending the rest of uh, today, which is Monday, um, helping uh, our members in those sorts of situations. So all of that's possible because of the support of our members and our donors. So thank you very much. And uh, we'll speak to you next time. Thank you. Bye bye.